Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Well, greetings and welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. You knew that when you tuned into the show. Got a great one for you today. I got Brad McDonald. You might remember Brad McDonald. He is the proprietor, CEO, president, founder of Freightco, a freight company, logistics company out of Northeast Indiana, because that's where he is from. In fact, he and I are from the same background. We were both blue collar kids that graduated in 1988 from Huntington North High School. And as if you've been on my shows, you know, there is no South, nor East, nor West, just the North, Huntington North High School. He and I both went there and asked, he will attest Huntington North High School is one of those places where they do not teach driver's training and sex education on the same day because the school only has one car. All right. It's an old joke, but it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> so Brad McDonald and I, a year ago, we sat down and we talked about uh, being one year into the government-induced disruption, distortion of the marketplace. And we talked, we called it survival strategies for small business. You have been on your own since 2004. You started this company, uh, logistics and freight hauling business, which is a pretty hyper-competitive business, it looks like to me. Uh, you started this in 2004, and then you went through the recession, made it. You went through uh, then the whole government shutdown of our economy, calling it lockdown, two weeks to flatten the curve. A year ago, you were on here. We were a year into the whole two weeks, and uh, we talked about what it takes to survive. You and I must be doing something right. I haven't had a real job since 1994, been running my own business. You've been running your own business for 18 years. Um, take me back to a year ago. Uh, and what, since the thing that we recorded then, have you discovered? Well, thanks for having me. One of well, the you're things- welcome. Of course. <laughs> One of the things that our, uh, our buddies love it when we get together and talk about business. Before I hit record on this, I said, apparently some folks are realizing that you and I actually know what the hell we're talking about, because we, we, we must if we didn't learn something in these two or th- two or three decades, we've been doing something wrong. Right. One of the things that I <clears throat> that I really learned from this is who's who's going to be by you. Uh, you know, I don't like to ever consider that your business partners with someone if they're a vendor. Right. But I've really been impressed with some of my vendors. Obviously, um, they were in the same boat as what we were in. And so I think during that time, they gave us um, some leeway and, uh, you know, really helped us uh, recruit, recoup some money, you know, try to get back to even. So that was good. Obviously, they're in the same boat with everyone else asking for grace and uh, things like that. But my employees, I would have to say, I'm probably the most thankful for um, just the drivers and um, and just everything that they did on the road. And <clears throat> during that time when they could have taken advantage of some things, um, you know, they could they kept putting miles down. Um, people kept coming into the office and working. Um, so I'm really thankful, really learned that, uh, there are people out there that want to work and, um, they want value. They want to know what value is to them. First off, that's impressive. Secondly, I'm sorry it took me so long to get around to, you know, have uh, letting you talk, but anyway, um, vendors like working on terms, you know, you hear about that when there's distress, and you say, all right, listen, man, you know that you're screwed up. I'm screwed up. Uh, 
you know, I, I had a person that's a small business person say to me, Brad, until two years ago, how many times in your, well, at that point, it would have been 26 years of running your own business, have someone tell you force majeure, force majeure. We had more contracts get nullified, adjusted, and it got to where you can't fight. You, you're, you know, you're not going to go and sue these people. You just got to where a bunch of our people said, what can we do? What, what can I do to still salvage your business? And you probably do the same thing. Right. I mean, we had it on the other side too, you know, customers uh, paying us during that time. I mean, we had to give some grace and we just asked for grace on the opposite side for our vendors. I think it was very important for people to understand the environment that we're in. And, you know, you may be waiting on some PPP money or you may be waiting on uh, a few other things. Um, so I think that there was just a lot of consideration given during that time. Um, so I learned that people are still good people um, for the most part. Maybe it's just the people that I was dealing with, um, but people are still good people. And I'm very, very thankful for that. And I'm sure that some of my customers were thankful for the grace that we extended to them. So um yeah, yeah I, I had a I had a generally similar thing. The clients that I've worked hard to serve uh, for the last you know almost three decades generally wanted to work with me. You know, hey, we can't have our meeting. We had you hired to come and do a speaking engagement. What can we do? And then we would end up working it out. And then I, I didn't have to um, I, I didn't have to uh, get uh, and nobody got mean with me. I didn't get mean with them. Uh, survival lessons learned in the last year. So we had survival lessons a year ago. Is there any more you've picked up since 2021? You know, the, the biggest issue that I have is, is mostly related to the media. Um, and you just got to figure things out on your own. I mean, you can trust, you know, you can trust inflation numbers. You can trust, uh, unemployment numbers, or you can listen to what people have to say, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, I think that uh, you understand from the inflation side, um, obviously freight costs have gone up more than 7%. Freight yeah. costs have gone up more than 10%. They've gone up more than 20%. Fuel cost in the most recent arena has gone up. Uh, 47, 40, 48 yeah. or something, wasn't it? Yeah. 50, yeah. And you're looking at equipment costs that's even greater than that. So our trailers anyway, trailers would be greater than 50%, you know, probably pretty close to, to 70%, uh, trucks, probably about 30%. Um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, <laughs> are, if you're in the, if you're in the trucking business, freight rates, fuel, semi tractors, semi trailers, uh, I think you just named everything that is uh, a critical part of it. Not to admit you forgot the other important one to keep your somebody in the seat. Uh, you know, they can tell you, you go on LinkedIn, it says that on average, Americans got a 4.7 or 4.6% raise last year. Like, yeah, that might be true. I don't know. Uh, I didn't give myself a 4.6. I took, I took a burn uh, again last year, but I can tell you that in the more blue collar arena, raises were a hell of a lot more than four or 5%. Your truck drivers, uh, people that work in the warehouses all got more than four and a half percent raises last year, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about truck drivers that are averaging maybe $80,000 a year run rate to a hundred thousand dollar a year run rate. I mean, compared to 
you know, they may have been in the upper sixties to to 70,000. So, but a lot of that is, is going to, can potentially cause a problem going forward as well. Right. Because you want your payroll cost to be a certain percentage of your revenue. And so an elevated pay raise like that, if you have any downturn in the economy and, you know, we're talking about uh, really high rates. So if you're talking about really high rate per miles and when things start to stabilize a little bit more and those rate per miles come back down, you really can't elevate those um, payrolls to the point that matches what the freight rates were during a a chaotic time, because you're just going to get yourself in trouble um, and you're not going to be able to afford those people. So here's the tough part that I, I think that you're talking where I am later on our later on in our uh, our discussion. But the point is, you're talking about. I think we're we're maybe trading some bigger numbers, but every single thing that I spend money on is more expensive now. There's not one thing that's less, and there's also almost none of them that are only up seven point nine percent, like the government is telling us. And I'm talking about at a personal level, but also at a business level. If I if I book an airplane ticket, we do a flat travel allowance for my clients. Well, I used to break even on that. And I've I've taken a hit on that because four months ago we set a, a deal and then I go to book the flights and it's more than the travel allowance. I got all kinds of these situations and I think it's coming from all over. And so it's fine if you're in an ascending income situation, but my business is not. And I don't think a lot of businesses are, uh, is your business, you're paying for more for everything. Are you getting the revenue that's exponent is the correlation amount more? You know, our, our revenue was exceptionally high because the rate per mile was exceptionally high. You say was, is that still is? No, as of last week, there was a dramatic change to, to our market for whatever reason. And this is the chaos that we live in. And so even though that fuel is going up and, you know, we talk about fuel surcharge a lot in our industry. So as fuel goes up, um, the, the fuel surcharge that goes along with that. So it's a, it's a rate per mile cost um, that we plug into the overall rate. The problem is, is that what we call the line haul rate, which is um, just your direct rate per mile. So it'd be rate per mile plus fuel surcharge. So even though that fuel surcharge is going up, your general line haul rate um, went down substantially. And when I say it went down substantially, it was still crazy, crazy high. Mm -hmm. So if you put things in perspective, let's just say that you had $10 corn, right? In your perspective. I mean, that would be insane, right? So $10 corn would be insane. If it drops back down to seven and a half, right? That's still really good, right? And so that's kind of where we're at right now. You know, it was at say like a 10 and it dropped down to seven and a half, um, but it's still really good. Uh, I think one of the issues that we're going to face in our industry is that these guys that went out and spent money, uh, smaller guys, you know, bigger companies, they, you know, they depreciate and they really don't pay anything for equipment anyway, um, just the way they trade and how they do it. Um, but these smaller guys that paid double, you know, for trailers, probably what they did a few years ago, um, I'm just concerned <clears throat> that uh, those 
you know, the value of that, that equipment just isn't going to hold up over the course of time. Okay. So you just said a lot of stuff there. First off that your rates are your revenue, your revenue or your ability, the rate per mile is say 25% of what it was just a couple of weeks ago. So we we've come down from the fever pitch of euphoric, stupid numbers in your industry just in the last two weeks. Correct. And do you think that's a leveling off where it's going to now plateau? Like it just, we got through the slug kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's going to drop even a little bit more. Yeah. So our, our focus is just on gross profit at this point. Um, we know that our revenues are going to continue to drop. So we have to be focused on our gross profit um, at the end of the day. Okay. So you're, you're got, you got a little more room to squeeze, but uh, the point is you don't think that you don't think this is the blip. You think that was right. Right. This is, yeah, I think it's going to continue to come back down to normal. Well, you know, how they, always, they, they, kept, they kept telling us during the COVID crap, the new normal, the new normal. So the point is, I don't know what that means. It's just media talk, but when it was crazy high, uh, a few weeks ago, you knew that that was not sustainable to use another corporate buzzword. It was not going to stay there. And now we're down, say, 25 percent on your rates, which is still a profitable. You're still in a profitable arena, right? Yeah, it, those rates are still really good. Yeah. You can still make a really good living at that. And, yeah. you know, as long as you can maintain that, again, increased fuel cost can be a disruption in that because we're very. Um, we're very consumer driven. Yep. Um, so if the consumer starts to tighten up a little bit uh, because discretionary income is being funneled into a gas tank versus being funneled into buying a new chair or furniture or carpet or, you know, things like that, that those are concerns that I have going forward um, and which would decrease our volume. And obviously, supply and demand comes into play and you got to be a little bit more aggressive on rate. Right. So the, I, I agree with you that uh, the average household, you know, I was interviewed on media two weeks ago, Brad, or a week and a half ago. And uh, I pointed out when I was talking about the ag and the food side of it, that uh, one stat says that the average household is being cost, I think it's $289 more per month right now, just because of inflationary pressures. And I'm like, you know, I'm not sure uh, which all basket of goods they talked about, but for a family that's got, you know, a couple of kids and you start looking at every category, um, fuel, as you said, just take an extra hundred bucks a month and put it in the fuel tank. That's a hundred bucks that they don't spend on something that your trucks haul. Um, granted, they say, well, they hauled the gas. Well, we're not hauling more gas. They're just spending more per gallon. So there's right. that. Um, on the uh, on the flip side, you said in your prior statement that you think that some players in logistics overpaid for the machinery, the, the equipment they needed, trucks, trailers, whatever. And so if we go down another 10% from here on freight rates, they start to get squeezed or do they even start losing? Yeah, I think they're probably going to, some of them are going to be losing right now, even though that for, for many, it's a real, still a really good situation. But if you're going out and buying $220 truck, $220,000 truck, if you're spending $100,000 for a reefer, um, those are, those are going to be concerns going forward. Um, and you're going to be strapped, 
you know, with that debt and not a lot of equity in that equipment. So, yeah, it's the same. It's the same. I mean, it's the same as, you know, a, a company that uh, overexpands or decides to expand based on the new the new marketplace and the marketplace was temporary in terms of those pricing, whether I'm a dairy farmer and I'm uh, buying a bunch of new tractors at, at high priced milk and then milk goes down, or I'm a laundry mat and I buy a bunch of washing machines at a, at a high price. And all of a sudden uh, my, my customer base goes away by half, same kind of thing. Right. So how'd you avoid that? You didn't, you didn't buy a bunch of equipment. You didn't need it. No, actually, during this time, we really continued our pursuit of downsizing the asset side, mm-hmm. even though that, you know, we were trying to make as much money as we could off of our assets while reducing um, our overall asset uh, exposure. And the reason why is because I knew that at some point this day would come. So I wanted to make as much money as I could, pay down as much debt as I could, and get into a spot where I could be comfortable. Um, one of the things that's hard, it's really hard in a chaotic world, it's really hard to service debt. And um, so you got to get yourself right. And so I wanted to be really asset lean as far as trucks, trucks doing it on our own. Right. When I don't want to compete with my, um, with my other carriers on the brokerage side for drivers, if they have drivers, I don't want to spend you know $5,000 a month for recruiting so I'll just use their drivers on my freight. So you got you got lean on on you don't you didn't overexpand or buy a bunch of expensive priced equipment, and then you still own machines, but you did you pare down debt. Correct. Yeah, substantially. And what's interesting, there's a there's a flip side to that. We don't carry a lot of debt, my wife and I, just because I don't want to. It's stressful. And more importantly, when you go through tumultuous situations, it's one more thing that then you're 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 like you're you're working to service debt versus just working to keep your business going or keep your business growing. The last two years have been keep it going, but not growing, I gotta admit. But uh, not having the the cloud of debt hanging over really makes it so you're not just stressed all the time. Right. And it's a scary market for, for a lot of people because you get this false sense like, hey, I can go out and buy this trailer because I have the money for it now. I can go out and buy this truck. But as I've said before, if I were going to be buying equipment, I want to buy when the prices are depressed. I, I want to hold on to that cash. And then when it's a buyer's market, then I want to buy it, not when it's a uh, not when it's a seller's market. I talked about that in my book, by the way, that and I've owned four, five Arizona properties. And I remember it was 2006 when I was didn't have anything owned and was renting a place for the winter out here. And uh, a realtor told me I couldn't afford not to buy because these places are going up 20% a year. I said, well, how about if I talk to you after they go down for 20% for a couple of years, <laughs> which of course happened. And uh so, yeah, it seems like things are a little frothy. So before we get to my next questions, things are a little bit frothy. And I it was not on our outline I sent you. But with that in mind, if you had 100 grand right now and you're a business guy and you, you know, I am, too. And, and we've we've done what we've done and we've stayed afloat and we've kept, the, you know, kept surviving and thriving and all that. I don't know where I'd put it. I don't know what thing I would invest in right now. I mean, I don't know what business thing I would do. It just, things seem so still screwy. Assets, asset prices seem high. 
uh, interest is low still. Historically, you could go and borrow money, but I don't know what I would put. What would you do right now if I said, here's a hundred grand and you can leverage it and this bank will give you uh, 600 more where that came from, whatever, you know, where would you go? Cause I don't, I don't know. It just seems, seems a little screwy out here right now. Yeah. I would probably still, I would probably spend a majority of that money on technology um, to make us more efficient. Um, I know there's some things uh, in our marketplace that um, just aren't there um, that would make us more competitive to our customers um, that would make us uh, a little bit leaner on headcount as a, when it came time for additional growth. So just making us more efficient on how we would um, receive freight from our customers, just the, you're, inter- you're talking, you're talking computers, software, that yeah, kind I'm of talking thing. software development. Yep. Uh, I released an episode a couple of weeks ago. I talked about eight lessons from two years of pandemic and it's really not just two years. It's eight lessons over 28 years, but in particular the last two years, things that I have decided. And I want you to either agree, disagree, expand on my takeaways and tell me your perspective. Eight things that I think the last two years have taught me. First off, the ability to create new roles for yourself or new opportunities for your business is dependent on the people that you know. We used to talk about a Rolodex. If you're young, you know what I'm talking about. It was the paper desktop version of the contacts in your smartphone. I think using your contacts to create new revenue and roles and opportunities is something that I already kind of understood, but I really figured it out in the last two years that I'm glad that I've always kept up with a lot of people and done a good job for a lot of my clients because I had to dip into that and create new opportunities. Your thoughts. I would say the grace that was extended, like I talked about vendors and extending grace. We also extended grace to customers during a period of time. And those customers are extremely healthy. And so when we did our most recent request for pricing um, RFPs, um, I felt like we got a little bit of an advantage over that. So developing our customers, our existing customers is a lot cheaper than developing new customers and the onboarding process of a new customer and just uh, um, trying to learn the lay of the land of those customers. So we have definitely increased our um, current customer base, uh, our market share with those current customers. Um, so we've done done well in that area. So yeah. And by the way, there's an old thing about that, right, Rand? It says uh, it's seventy percent more less expensive to grow an existing customer than to acquire a new one because there is an acquisition. You spend money on marketing, promotion, putting your people on it, sales force, whatever it is to get a new customer, there is a cost. There's a cost to whether it's just the postcards you mailed or the website or the social media presence or sending a sales rep out or whatever the hell that is, there's a cost to get a new customer. So you think that you agree about the contacts thing. It helped you, the relationships. You've grown most of your accounts. Dollar amounts coming in per customer has grown, right? Uh, substantially correct. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of money, number two thing that I'd say that I learned, I already kind of knew it from 28 years of running my own business, but I, for sure, uh, there's a lot of power and independence and in keeping some funds on hand when all of a sudden you're getting washed, as you know, I did where all of a sudden you're looking over a three to six month horizon and the revenue looks like it goes from a whole bunch to zero. <laughs> it can be a pretty stressful time knowing that you at least were not 
completely overextended and you had some hay in the barn as uh, as farm boys would say there's a lot of independence and in keeping some funds on hand and being uh being solvent when things are bad right and that's <clears throat> that's what gets you through those times so you know in, during these good times um it's important to to get back to even what i call you know i just want this uh market as we call it i just want this market to maintain long enough to get back to even yep. right to where we were february of 2020 right. february of 2020 if you remember i said it, it was really good i mean it was starting to take off everything looked great and then march came along and they said you know you got to shut it down and right. i'm like if we can just get back to february 2020 um yeah everything's good the benefit of a diversified revenue stream. Uh, we always have this issue where we make make our money doing one thing or two things. And if you can get to where you have income coming in from three, four, or five things, it gives you, um, shall we say, uh, a lot of a lot of stools, a lot of legs on the stool. So if one of them gets broken off. You can't hardly do that. You're a logistics company. You're not going to probably open up a, a pool construction business. <laughs> so what do you do if you say, man, uh, in the future, I want to have a diversified income stream. How do you do that? You know, there's some things that we're that we'd like to do through the technology side yep. um, that would integrate our customers, make them a little bit more stickier to us. There's some things from the technology point of view as they would tender freight over to us. We want to make that a little bit more seamless and a little bit easier, providing them better visibility to their freight, um, things like that. So that um, that would be an area of diversification. It'd be a different revenue stream. It'd be off of clicks. It'd be off of, um, it'd be different than just hauling their loads. I mean, they could use it for whatever uh, carrier or logistics provider they wanted to use. Um, so, you know, that's an area of diversification. One of the things that we've done really well at is markets that we weren't real strong in. And so we've. Uh, so in a way, that is diversification. You're still you're still in the freight transport business, but you diversified away from uh, you've diversified the customer base, which means then if there's slowness in uh, if, the, if the staple gun business is slow, you can truck something else. So there is a diversification component to that. Right. So we, we focused, we were pretty diverse on, I mean, a variety of different things. So during, during the shutdown, so much of what we hauled was not automotive, necessarily automotive related, yep. but even, even automotive people produce scrap, scrap plastic, um, those kind of things. So some people that are vertically integrated, like say um, um, one of our customers uh, is a pool manufacturer. Well, not only I just said that I just said that. <laughs> so this pool manufacturer has done really well over the past few few months. Um, but during the time that it was slow, they couldn't get plastic to help them produce liners and do things like that. Um, because if the automotive industry isn't running, they're not producing scrap. And so that creates supply chain issues like you talk about. Yeah. Um, so our diversification is um, you know any anywhere from kickballs to automotive parts, mm -hmm. um, and but we just needed to diversify a little bit different into regions. 
Um, that that's been more of our focus lately is getting a, a better um, um, a better presence in the West Coast, getting a better presence in the Texas Southeast or Southwest area. Um, that, that's been our focus. So it brings me to my next point, the power of being adaptable. Uh, you know, I, I, I always say about like the people I worked with in the factory, they could usually do the job that they were trained on. And by God, if you changed it when I, they were just a mess, um, I don't have the factory worker mentality. I'm always kind of adapting and changing what I do. You just were talking about adapting by changing customer base. Do you have any other adaptability um, uh, needs that you think got you through the last two years of uh, tumult? You know, I think our I think our employees have done a great job of adapting. You say that um, you know most can't or most don't. Um, I'm really proud of them for being able to do that. We have we've hired a lot of new people, and they're really open minded to um, just making money. For one thing, I mean they'll they'll become whatever they need to become to make money. So that's a nice thing, right? By the way, isn't it something? There's there's probably folks that don't think that's a good thing. If I had a, how many employees you got? We have sixteen right now. I would want them all. I would want all sixteen of my people to be just driven to make money because to make money you perform, and if you perform, we'll make more money. I think that's a good thing. Right. And, and they really have taken on to that. I mean, they have done a great job. They understand what gross profit is. They understand what revenue per load is. Um, they're really focused on that. And they've done a really good job at that. So home front, you got three kids. I don't. I got a wife. She's part of my business. I got to tell you that the last couple of years made me realize that working together with your spouse, a lot of people, divorce rates spiked 35% during the year 2020. All these people that were staying at home, uh, you know, as I make the joke, all all the morning talk shows says, oh, there's going to be a baby boom. These people are at home. I'm like, they weren't screwing. They said, screw you. They they, do get divorced. Having a strong home front when you're a small business person, I think is really critical because there's going to be stressful times. You know, we went through that. There's going to be a lot of changes going on. You're scrambling to try and get the new, the next business thing going. Um, And you ever notice that personal, I can try and say there's personal and there's professional, but I believe they both walk in lockstep down the same uh, path. Don't you? Right. You know, Lisa is my wife. Obviously, I should say that has been very she likes to say that she's accommodating to it, but she does. She does provide a lot of stability um, for me, for the home. And uh, without without that would be really a bad situation. Obviously, she's not happy with me working the hours that I work and things <laughs> like that. But um, but she she tolerates it to the point that uh, that she can. But I I if it were anyone else, I don't think they they could take they could take my schedule. I don't think they could. The like kids being, like being married job. to it, like being married to a dairy farmer. Okay. Uh, Brad McDonald, uh, business plans. We have them. We've used them. I've never had one. Uh, you go to business schools and they try and tell you how important it is. 
if you had one in February of 2020 when you were starting out and like, here's what's going to happen in the first year and in the fifth year and the seventh year, you might as well just throw the son of a bitch out the window because it would be useless right now. And I think it, the last two years and what's going on right now when there's things that are so crazy, all it's done is confirm to me that business plans are too rigid and generally not practical. So you're asking me what we're doing differently or what? I want to know your thoughts on business plans. Uh, business plans. We, we drill down to the day. Okay. So my, my problem is, is that you get to the end of the month and it's too late. So my philosophy is if you take care of the daily and weekly numbers, then the daily and weekly numbers will take care of the monthly, the quarter numbers and the annual numbers. Um, so we identify potential first. So if you're saying we want to be 130 million in six years, um, we don't really have that. I mean, I'm not going to say that I wouldn't want to have that. I mean, it'd be wrong for us to kind of put that out there. Um, and the reason hey, why you say, you're saying that you that you 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 have a number of revenue you would like to gross as a business in a few years, and you put, you don't put it out there, or you do put it out there. Are you saying it's too far away to even consider? I don't want to handicap myself. I, I, you know, I if I can grow to five hundred million, I want to grow to five hundred million. I want to focus on the day, and I want to focus on the individual. And so, if I bring on Damian Mason, and I'm going to say, "Here's how you're going to move ten loads a day, and you're going you're going to broker ten loads a day, and you're going to do this," and then once I get to that point, I'm going to add another person and another person. I'm not, you know, yeah. whatever I can grow is what I can grow. Yeah, yeah, I got you. So I guess though the thing is. I do set revenue targets, uh, but I do it yearly. Meaning I, I just, I think that, I think it's, it's you can kind of say, what's this year going to shape up? Like, what do I want this year to shape up? Like, but I wouldn't say here's what I want the five years from now to shape up. Like, because like you said, you might only not be handicapping yourself. There might be so many different things going on that it's not even a practical assessment. Right. And things change a lot. Technology changes. Uh, you know, I talked about technology a little bit ago. If we could make our process and our what we do more efficient, um, you know, we'd be less focused on employees um, and more focused on um, employees moving freight. I mean, you you have to focus on how employees would be more efficient in moving freight, which is going to make them more money ultimately. Ultimately, your biggest struggle for Freight Co. right now. Our biggest struggle for Freight Co. right now would be it's still really chaotic. Yeah. Um, and you, if you bring people on, and even though that you're looking at, as I said, the consumer side of things, if the consumer slows down, I'm adding people and I'm looking at gross profit. If it slows down to the point that I just added these people and there's not enough loads in the marketplace, um, that I'm going to have to unload someone I, that, that concerns me. Um, I don't think that that's going to be the case. Right. Um, I think there's still going to be enough there that, uh, I mean, because we're pretty lean right now. And okay. So, really so it, it's chaotic struggle right now is you're, you're more projecting is hard, uh, projecting even a couple of weeks sounds like it's hard compared to what historically it's been. Correct. Correct. And it could be hard to predict, 
two days from now. Yeah. All right. I'm just being honest. Uh, so things are chaotic. What has surprised you? You've been around, you worked in this business before you, before you started your own business, you've been around trade trucking, transport, freight movement, logistics for your whole career, essentially. What surprised you? What's, what's happened in the last six to 12 months that you actually didn't see coming? I would say the employees that I hired recently and just the success that they've had, um, that that has surprised me. You know, you have a lot of people, you hear a lot of um, um, negativity around people. Um, and these people have done a great job. It's it, it's not easy working for me. I can guarantee you that it's not easy working for me. And I can't emphasize enough how well that these uh, that these people, these new newer people have done coming in and um, are existing um, employees have brought them in and just the networking and the continuity that has gone into uh, building Freco in the last four or five months has been really a blessing. I mean, that's, that's also got to be very rewarding and it's important for you to build admit that you're not an easy person to work for. Uh, right. <laughs> by the way, what, what makes you difficult to work for? I mean, you've been around this long enough. We're, we're yeah. old enough now that if we can't admit where our strengths and weaknesses are, you know, companies spend all these times doing the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And you know what they always do? Bullshit themselves and tell, well, we're just too caring. That's one of our weaknesses. They make up bullshit weaknesses and then they overdo what they think their strengths are. And they never sit there and talk about what the threats are. I can talk about threats and I can also talk about weaknesses. Uh, my weakness is I'm a terrible manager of uh, employees. That's why I don't have any. Um, and uh, I've got a few other weaknesses besides that. I'm sort of short-tempered. <laughs> right. I think my expectations um, are really high. I don't think that that's a downfall. I think my expectations are really high, but not everyone can perform to that level. And I think the ones um, that we have today, uh, understand those expectations and appreciate high expectations. They, mm. they want to achieve, they have those matching expectations. Um, as the other thing that makes me a little bit more demanding is, uh, I'm not very patient. You know, if I want it now, I want it now. If I ask you to do something, then don't debate it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I don't want you to debate it. Like if you have a reason why, then right. I want to hear that reason. <laughs> but, um, and, and I'm going to be open to that. But one of the challenges I think that, uh, that most people don't understand is I've been there and I've done that. And I already know that's going to be a problem. And um, so, you know, some, sometimes you just have to let them experience that for themselves. And um, sometimes you have to just say, trust me this is what's going to happen if you go down this route. And, you know, I don't like to play the, I told you so card, but, you know, let them learn a couple times with that. And then, and then they'll appreciate or respect your, your position. Uh, it's I, I'm, I'm, I'm impatient. And I think you get to a certain point in life uh, that uh, you, you become, maybe you'd say you get more patient as you get older, but less patient on shit that you just absolutely, you, you have no tolerance for because you've already been there and done it too much. Uh, interest rates. Okay. You don't carry a lot of that you said. And, uh, and I told you about my thoughts on debt and interest rates are ascending are going to ascend you, you will 
you could right now make the case that you should go out and buy trucks and trailers because they've gotten cheaper from where they were, you just said. And also you got a chance to capitalize on cheap interest. Will you do that or why will you not do that? If I had the opportunity to capitalize on cheap, because equipment right now is really expensive. So I wouldn't buy right now. So even though interest is cheap and we think it's going to get more expensive, you'd rather pay for pay. You'd rather get a better price on the equipment and pay a little more interest because you think the equipment is overpriced. Correct. Which is a bit like they'd say with homes. Okay. I've got to go and buy a house because interest rates are going to go up. I'm like, well, overpaying for a house by a hundred thousand dollars because you got a half a percent cheaper interest is still a bad move. Right. Correct. Same thing. Right. <clears throat> See, I, wouldn't have, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a hard time working for you, Brad, because you generally agree with me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's logic. I mean, it's <laughs> about interest rates. Would you would you rather pay $100,000 over for equipment or would you rather pay an extra $8,000 on interest? What 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 would you rather do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> inflation. Um, I. I've uh, gone to the people that I work with and asked for more money and um, it's kind of working, but at some point I'm not sure that I can keep passing on more, charging more. And also um, there, there's still, it's still a tumultuous marketplace. And I think that, that this inflation thing is going to continue to get worse and it's going to start squeezing people, even people that are not paycheck to paycheck. It's going to squeeze some of our businesses. What do you think? What's your prediction? Because you're, you're good about seeing stuff. Where does this go? Well, I think it's going to reverse. I do. I don't think it's going to reverse anytime soon because the government spent too much money. And yeah. that's where the inflation comes from. Wait a minute. Uh, Joe Biden said it was Putin's inflation. <sighs> Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you can't continue to give money to people and think that there's not going to be inflation. I mean, yeah. who didn't see that? Yeah. Tr- mean, trillions, trillions of dollars of new government spending. So then it makes money worth less. And then and I explained that two years ago when this began, I said, you realize that the more money that's just being thrown around for nothing means that money, therefore, has less value. It's uh, um, so it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, impact on you when that average household that says, you know what, we can't buy kickballs or we can't buy the trampoline for the kids or we can't buy the new couch, all the stuff that your trucks haul, then obviously there's less need to haul them. And then, as you said, when there's less stuff needing to be hauled, um, then trucking companies say, oh, well, we're going to just charge a little less because there's less freight to be hauled. We need to still stay, keep our trucks rolling. So we're going to charge less. So the inflation creates the situation where consumers can't buy. And then all of a sudden it means that you can't do your thing at the same time while everything's costing more, you're starting to charge less. Isn't that what happens? Right. And in our industry, the, the other companies that increase their employee cost, their pay to drivers to an point that really to attract those drivers in, are really going to be hurting when the market continues to turn down and their uh, their costs become greater as a percentage of their revenue. Yeah, but I, I said what's an interesting thing because inflation creates home, home front problems, and then those people spend less, then there's less freight that needs hauled, and then the then then the response in your industry is the big haulers start charging less to still keep their trucks rolling. So then while everything is costing you more, you're actually bringing in less and it gets to where it's a zero sum game. It could. Right. And you just got to be prepared to um, 
you know, shed a few pounds, right? You gotta, you gotta figure out where you're going to make money and you gotta be out in front of it. Again, you gotta do it on a daily and a weekly. If you wait to do it on a monthly and quarterly basis, it's too late. Um, so you got to get out in front of it a little bit quicker. Um, you got to understand what's out in front of you. Um, and that's all cost containment. What you're talking about there is cost containment, because if everybody in the, in the marketplace is saying we just dropped freight rates by 20 percent, you can't say we're not going to probably because they're going to say, well, then I'm not going to use your services. Right. One of the lessons that uh, maybe I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the lessons that I think my employees have learned is that I have said um, expenses don't dictate price. Market dictates price. Yeah. So you may have an increase in uh, equipment costs. You may have an increase in fuel cost. You may have increases along the way. But if your market reduces, it doesn't matter what trailers cost. It doesn't matter what the employee costs you. Um, market determines what the price is. You'd like to go to your customer and say, yeah, I need $3 and 18 cents a mile plus fuel. And they're going to say, yeah, so-and-so is doing it for 260. And then I have to decide that I, if I'm going to do it for 260 and make, you know, 6% or, you know, am I just going to stay home and not do anything? I love that statement because I say that too. First off, I'm an ag guy and they love to say in agriculture, you know, problem is farmers, they just have to take what the market bears for their crop. They can't go and set their price. I'm like, well, that's true, but also that's true for everybody. Um, I can I can go and tell everybody, hey, you know what? I'm a really good business speaker. I want you to pay me $6 million so I can just get, and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? We can get, we can get you know, so-and-so. The market dictates all prices, not just corn or soybeans. It's everything. The reality is you can't just go and charge whatever you want. You charge what the market will bear and what the marketplace is charging. And as you said, expenses don't dictate price. The marketplace does. Nobody cares if you're if you've got a hefty expense, you know, and nobody cares if you're heavy on your on your daily or your carrying costs or whatever. By the way, it's a good. It's one of the smartest statements I've heard. Expenses don't dictate price; market dictates price. You should write that down. Oh, I say it every day. I don't have to write it down. Uh, I'll tell you what. Speaking of which, it was several years ago. Mrs. Mason and I were looking at a piece of real estate that was out here in Arizona, and uh, and it was an older couple that had it and wanted to sell it. And I pulled my comps, and I also pulled what I thought you know they and went in there and said, "Okay, we're prepared to do this." And they said, "Oh my my God, no, no, no. We need." this amount to retire. And I said, okay, that's neat. Here's what your house is worth. Well, no, 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 we need this. And it's the same thing as you just said, it, just because you need this much money to retire, doesn't mean that your house is worth more than the market is actually says it's worth. Same thing. Um, one thing you see from your perspective or experience that others may not be seeing. You were ahead of the curve on equipment stuff. You you saw stuff that even people in your own industry were were not as astute about. You predicted that all of a sudden this uh, you know this thing was going to break loose and you guys would be hauling more stuff than you could. What are you seeing right now that you think the average business person or consumer is not seeing? I think rates will get a little bit lighter. And I think once rates get a little bit lighter, unfortunately, what's going to happen is some of these uh, people that maybe spent too much money on equipment 
um, is going to go by the wayside. Um, I, to be honest with you, it's, it's really a short-term outlook. Extrapolate that Brad to the general economy or the, any other business. Okay. Rates are going to get cheaper in your business. Again, that's because we're going to have less stuff to haul and we got people back in the seats, uh, in the, in driving, we, all those reasons. Now tell me what that means to Joe blow the laundry mat, the Wendy's, uh, convenient, the grocery restaurant. What's it mean to everybody else? Well, I mean, if you think about it, you, you spoke earlier about, um, additional money into the gas tank, right? Yep. So if you're, if you're going to spend $50 more per week for gasoline, right. And you multiply that. And let's say there's just in Huntington, Indiana, there's 12,000 households in Huntington, Indiana, take that $50 per week, multiply it by 12,000 households and tell me how much disposable income that is out of an economy. Yeah. Um, so you're going to see uh, a reduction in people getting their hair. I mean, those are going to be the first things that are going to be impacted. People who get their hairs done, their nails done, sure. uh, a detailing of cars, um, you know, car washes, those kind of things are going to go coffee, you know, start. Yeah, I think even in, in, in there, usually a thing, Brad, that happens where the person that goes and says, I'm a, an Applebee's type of a customer. Maybe that person goes down a notch to, uh, fast food or something. So usually there's that trade down effect that happens uh, in consumer goods, but also, like you said, in consumer behavior patterns that it goes seven weeks without between haircuts versus six or, or whatever, those kinds of things. Right. Right. And I think that from, from our point of view, what happens is like you mentioned, just the reduction in, in load count and the reduction in load count also impacts our vendors as well, you know, um, from the truck side, oil changes are going to go down, right? Um, tire tire usage is going to go down. Um, those kind of things are, and so it impacts uh, it impacts the whole. But I think that what happens is that's a that's a period of time, and then once you get through that period of time, then you're going to run into a shortage again, and then. Um, then supply and demand comes back around and you become a little bit more in demand because someone fell off. Uh, you went through this uh, challenge and uh, you and I were both very anti-lockdown. You and I both said, this is going to cause a lot of mental health issues. This is going to cause a lot of problems on home fronts. This is going to cause a lot of small businesses to go under. This is going to spike drug usage. There's a lot of really bad shit that happened in the last two years. Uh, tell me about the challenges and their impact on you. Did you get softer on your opinions? Did you decide, oh, okay. Did you decide, you know what, Lisa's right. I should just work less. What, what, what happened? Well, I mean, it just, it really, you work, it made you work harder, right? Yeah. It did make me work harder and it did put unnecessary stress on families and it, and it did create a bad environment and then poof, all of a sudden there's no COVID. I mean, I can remember back there was there was a week and I think it was the end of January or the first of February where me and another person were the only two people in the office because either someone had to be quarantined or they tested positive. And then they couldn't go back to work until, you know, obviously they got a negative test. And, you know, you have a truck driver who never sees anyone who's sitting at home because he's got a quarantine. But all he does is drive down the road, 
go up to the shipper, drop his empty trailer, pick up a loaded, take it over to the receiver, drop it off. He never sees anyone anyway, but he can't work, you know, because he's got a quarantine, you know, it just crazy stuff like that. So here we are today, right? Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whatever it was, then poof, no COVID, no COVID. So now what you're dealing with is oil prices that are, you know, a dollar 13 a barrel or $113 a barrel. And so it's just chaos after chaos after chaos. Now. And, it, and it just really kind of frustrates you. Like, yeah, well, the reason you and I are both frustrated is because it was more government, and, uh, you know, and, and people disagreed with us because they said uh, we didn't care. We were callous. I'm like, listen, man, I, I see a lot bigger things here. And you just keep focusing on the media telling you that there's a, a virus floating around. And we saw, like you said, it's created more stress on my business. And I've been through 9-11, the recession. Uh, you know, I've been through a lot of stuff and this has been equally as chaotic. Now, thank God I've got more establishment and I got some hay in the barn and I've got a lot more contacts and people that I could reach out to. And that's where, again, I asked you if you, you don't have to pay for my, kids. Huh? You don't have to pay for kids. I don't have to pay for kids. That's a helpful <laughs> thing too. Uh, so during that slowdown, and like you said, it, it changed everything. Did it make you think about, hell, I'm done with this. I'm just going to go ahead and just sell my business. I'm going to close the doors. I'm going to just go get a job as a Walmart greeter. Did you ever think about, uh, it'd be easier if I just went and had a normal job? Uh, the normal job would frustrate me. You know, who else is going to do this? I mean, if, if I can't do it, who else can do it? You know, so I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Obviously, I like the challenge. I, I think that... Uh, um, yeah, there's some things that I did wrong and some things that I could do better. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not looking to do anything different. I I'm probably not either. I'm glad I expanded. Like I said, I picked up new projects and picked up some new client work and some other things. So I essentially expanded and diversified income into a few other, uh, roles and projects and, and jobs, if you will, or, you know, contractual arrangements, <clears throat> you know, that's the other thing. I did think about, okay, I've slowed down a little bit now and I don't mind not being quite a uh, hundred miles an hour. So I didn't mind that, but it did make me think what, what, um, what would it be like to not work? And I'm kind of with you that I thought, first off, there are folks that say like, Oh, you could just, I'm like, what would you do? What, what would you do if you weren't working? What would you do? I don't think that that would happen for, longer than three or four days. Um, <laughs> just being honest with you. I mean, I would want to be participating in something and I think that will probably always be the case. So um, I don't. What about you said, you said, if you don't do this, who's going to do it? Is there a side of you? Because there actually is with me. I've had people say, well, you know, just go and volunteer. And I said, how fucking stupid are you? Do you want me to go and ladle soup at a homeless kitchen? And I'm not being mean about homeless kitchens. But if I have the ability to run a business and create value, and then when I make $10,000, I spend that on giving other companies business, and then they employ people. The economic multiplier index has never been lost on me. It's better for me to keep an engine going that is an economic multiplier index. Do you ever think that way about your own thing, that there's, there's more than just the fact that it's your business? Yeah. I mean, what I'm going to try to put in perspective here is, is providing value. I mean, everything that I have, that I have to do provides value, obviously, you know, serving at a soup kitchen or doing something like that certainly isn't below me, 
but I, I think that I have more value than that. I think that I can produce something that is going to provide additional benefit to more than just the few in maybe that room or something like that. Well, you got 16 employees that have a job that then go and go to the store and spend their money and do those oil changes, haircuts, and uh, all the things that we just talked about because of working for freight coast. So I think that, I think that also, I don't have employees, but I have plenty of people that I uh, employ that I give money to for my job, my services, whatever. Right. Uh, what did we not talk about Brad McDonald? proprietor of freight co that we should have uh, regarding business, particularly the chaos you are enduring and uh, working through now over the last year. Uh, like you said, when all of a sudden it was COVID, 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 COVID. And now we're recording this on March 30th of 2022. It just remarkably went away and all hell has broken loose out here in this marketplace. So uh, what else did we not cover? You know, I think the most important thing is to realize not to focus on the problem and to focus on the solution to the problem. You can you can be mad, which I was about the shutdown. I can be mad about a variety of different things, but you got to focus on what's the solution. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of people need to be focused more on the solution than on the problem. Mm -hmm. And whether it's our government or a lot of um, just the normal everyday Joe, you know, how how do we focus on fixing the issue? How do we focus on getting a better job? How do we focus on, you know, reducing our debt? How do we focus on doing things like that? Um, So I think focusing on the solution and not the problem is um, a takeaway that I want to make sure that's there. You, you can be mad and you can be upset all day long, but you got to be focused on what's the solution moving forward where this is where I want to be. What's my solution or how do I get there? That's yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's good. It ties into the whole adaptability thing that uh, it really is a matter of you get thrown enough curves in this, in this whole thing of piloting your own ship that you eventually say, all right, I, I get through this. How many more you got in you? How many, how many more lockdowns, shutdowns, 9-11s, great recessions? How many more of these do you want to withstand until you just say, I'm going to sit at home on the porch with Lisa and watch the birds in the bird feeder? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to do that anyway, hopefully one day, you know. But, I but it's not going to happen soon because you already told me you couldn't be retired for more than three days at this point. But at some point, we'll I wasn't going to have my laptop. At, so, at some point, we'll have to slow down. I know. I don't know when that'll be. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, what I'm really thankful now is uh, the group of people that I've brought in. Um, you know, I have some good young talent um, that uh, that I think is going to continue to grow. And I'm excited about that. Um, you know, if I can again, you know, you and I both know over the last few years, I've spent a lot of time doing what needed to be done. Right. And I haven't focused nearly. I haven't used my mind nearly as much as I would like to, right, to grow and do some things uh, and invest myself differently into the growth of business. Uh, I've had to do a lot of things that other people could be doing. Yeah, I think the last two years have been a lot of uh, you doing. You just it's you've had a hard time 
you know, in my book, I talk about vision and I'm talking about where you're looking out there. And I'm not saying you have a business plan for 17 years from now, because that's, you know, hell, Uber didn't exist three years ago, five years ago. So um, you'll think about all the changes, but I like to talk about vision. It's been hard the last two years to be visionary um, because it's been more survival, like, oh, son of a bitch, I got to do this today. I got to do this. Now what? Oh, God, did you see what's happening now? It was reacting, 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 as opposed to uh, long-term sort of uh, growth uh, mindset. Right, right. I think additionally for me, you talk about um, becoming a little less patient or whatever. I've become a little more calloused you know, to, to maybe what other people say or what other people think, or, you know, this, this customer is going to be upset if we do this. And I'm like, you know, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, it's not that I don't really care about that customer. I'm not really focused a whole lot on taking a, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in taking money out of my pocket just to make sure that they don't have money come out of their pocket. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. I think that that was, that's the, where the survival things kicked in. You know, it's not that you don't value your customers, not that you're obviously screwing anybody. It's just that you, you come down to, you've got to take care of, you've got to take care of the, your, yourself and your business. Right. His name's Brad McDonald. He's my buddy from growing up. He only lives about a mile from my farm, but you know what? He's too busy running freight and I'm too busy running around the country. So we don't actually see each other. Um, I still get a fish in your pond from time to time. Some someday, someday we're going to spend more time golfing and talking about business uh, on the golf course as opposed to just working our business. Hey, uh, if they want to find you. Is there a website for Freightco? Yeah, www.gofreightco.com. Gofreightco.com. His name is Brad McDonald. My name is Damian Mason. I appreciate you being here, buddy. All right. Thanks for having me. You bet. Till next time, it's Do Business Better. If you enjoyed this episode of Do Business Better, please share it. And be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear and Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Send us a message. We're always looking for compelling stories and business lessons our listeners can benefit from. Thank you. Thank you.